Willis to 66. And Drew, we're pumped up today. Because this is episode 100. Never thought we'd get there. We have done this 99 times. Now we have pushed the record button to get started 100 times. How do you? How are you feeling at episode 100? It feels a lot like episodes 1 through 99, yeah. to be honest. feels nearly Just identical. It's another day at work. We're in Just a another different day. room. Yes. But other than that, I mean, we are kind semi-celebrating our 100th episode today because I know everybody's really interested in this. We're going to lunch after this and we're the best <laughs> restaurant in all of Birmingham. Saw it Soul Kitchen. Yeah. So And because of the effect the food has on us physically, it's important that we do this first. Right. And not after lunch. Right. If we did this after lunch it would just be a quiet meditation podcast mm-hmm. sort of thing. We might play some music. Let people take a nap. (laughs) But as it is... It's not going to be that nice. If we sound that we are rushing through this, that's why. Because we're we're hungry. It's already noon as we record this now. Uh, But we're going to finish up 2 Thessalonians in our 100th episode. Uh, So this works out well. We're going to start in verse 13 of chapter 2. If you remember in our last episode, we just did the first portion of chapter 2. Um, We spent a lot of time talking about the man of lawlessness, how he's restrained, who's restraining him, all that kind of stuff. Lots of difficult things. So we wanted to leave the second half of chapter 2 to go with chapter 3 because this is Paul kind of wrapping up his letter to the Thessalonians, giving them what we see in a lot of his letters, kind of this final charge really, uh, some, some end matter here to the letter. And Drew's got the outline today, so what's what's the first point on the outline here? Uh, we're the whole thing we'll call the idol. Okay. I D L E, not I D O L, the idol. Uh, but it's not just about the idol. The idol are a problem because of other people involved with the Thessalonians as well. So there are actually three categories if we start up at chapter two, verse thirteen, and the first one are the saved. So that's verses thirteen through seventeen of chapter two where Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. So you can see there's some fondness there shared between Paul and this group. Yeah, They were saved having been called through the gospel. They were saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. And uh, they had held firmly to the traditions passed down to them from Paul who received them from God. Uh, we'll probably have a few thoughts on that because those um, those lines are often used in support of the idea of predestination, yeah. um, a special calling. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's language in there about the sanctification of the Spirit. There's a lot of confusion. I don't think it's a very confusing set of verses, but because yeah. of preconceived notions regarding theology and religion, 
it's often confusing to people. But we'll come back to that. That's the first group. They were saved, the okay. saved. Second group are the wicked and evil men. First five verses of chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not all have faith. You'll remember the background, which we keep going back to. It's so important to the understanding of this letter. The background from Acts 17, where right. wicked and evil men ran Paul and his companions out of the city of Thessalonica. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, as he mentions here, the word of the Lord had sped ahead and was honored in Thessalonica. He said that happened among you. So they were able to establish a church in a very short period of time. And of course, had to write these letters to fill in the gaps. But these wicked and evil men caused them to have to, to get out before they were ready. He points out that God is faithful, even though they're not faithful, and he will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Now that brings us to the third group of people, the idol. And uh, I wanted to spend more time on these. There's a lot of great stuff in here. And uh, Paul answers a number of questions here, starting with the question of who the idol were. Now, this word we saw before in 1 Thessalonians, uh, idol, it, um, it literally means um, it was a military term about yeah. a soldier maybe who refused to obey his commanding officer. Just out of line. Or yeah, it kind of has yeah. to do with being out of line, out of ranks. And uh, I think the King James uses the translation unruly. Okay. Uh, that may be a good translation. Um, the context here suggests the idea of idle. Uh, Paul says in verse 11 that they were not busy at work, but busy bodies. And he advised these individuals in verse 12 to work quietly and to earn their own living. That context gives us the nuance of idle over just unruly. They weren't doing any work. They were being lazy. So what had they done wrong? Well, they had, um, first of all, they had violated the apostles' teaching. And I might go back to the first letter here to get a fuller picture. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple references to them. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, Paul asked the church to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. No yeah. explicit reference there, but he wouldn't have to instruct them to do these things if some were not doing them. Right. When he gets to chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, in verse 14, he mentions them explicitly, and he told the church to admonish the idol. That's a part of being, uh, at being patient with all. Yeah. We talked about that. Part of that is admonishing the idol. That's the only reference he has to them uh, in 1 Thessalonians. We come over to this section of 2 Thessalonians. He said that idleness, verse 6 of chapter 3, was not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. And uh, that sets them apart from that first group of people that we called the saved. In verse 10 of chapter 3, uh, he reminds them that he commanded them, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. And then in verse 12, he says, Such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So they had violated Paul's teaching, which was yeah. one of the problems. 
Another problem is they'd have violated his example. He puts himself forth as an example of the way they ought to behave in mm-hmm. chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. You yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you and ourselves an example to imitate. And Paul is able to set himself up as an example many times, and this is another case. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the question is, how should the church respond? And he gives instructions in verses 13 through 14. As for you, brothers, now he's talking to the saved, that first group we encountered at the end of chapter 2. Do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. And after that instruction on how to deal with the idol, we close with a parting blessing, verses 16 through 18. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so we bring the letters to the Thessalonians to a close. So we've had a quick little break to think about this food we're about to eat. Uh, but now we want to think. <laughs> we're going to think about something else. We want to think about, first of all, Drew, you mentioned this in the reading. The fact that these verses in chapter 2, verses 13, really through the end of the chapter, I guess more specifically to verse 15, uh, it's used in predestination. And a lot of that's built upon this fact that in verse 13, he basically says, God chose you to be either the first fruits or to be... Um, or he chose from the beginning. Right, he chose There's from the beginning. Two different translations on that. Yeah. Um, so the question here is, just to set it up for you, did God choose these people individually and regardless of what they decided to do, they were stuck being the first fruits or they were stuck being chosen from the beginning? Or is there something else going on here? Yeah, there's no question that there is predestination or election or choosing, whatever term you want to use. Yeah. It's just what the question is, what did God choose before mm-hmm. the world was created? Um, Ephesians 1 has this language as well, as does many other places. So the question is, you know, what was chosen? Mm-hmm. Was it individual people, like you said, mm-hmm. or was it a, a particular path, a way, or a group of people? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's pretty clear if you remove preconceived notions that he chose a group, a certain kind of people. Yeah. Um, brothers beloved by the Lord, as it's put here. And, you know, one of the reasons it's clear is if you say God predestined individuals before the world was created, then. There are a lot of other passages of Scripture that simply don't make sense. I mean, if God yeah. has chosen everybody before birth to be either saved or condemned, then why 
does he plead with us to respond to the gospel? Mm -hmm. Why are there conditions for salvation such as faith um, yeah. or repentance or baptism? Why um, do sinful Christians put their lives in jeopardy and are asked, you know, to repent? Like in Acts 8.22 where Peter tells yeah. Simon, repent and pray. Uh, why does John ask us to confess our sins, 1 John 1, mm -hmm. nine. I mean, if, if I'm saved, regardless of what I can do about it, then the Bible doesn't need to tell me to do mission work. I don't yeah. need, there's no, you know, response to the gospel that is necessary. Uh, I'm locked in at birth. And there's, you know, an explanation for that, I realize, but it doesn't, I'm, I'll try to represent it correctly, but the explanation is, well, if you're saved, you're going to obey. So he's predestined like your obedience as well as the actual state that you are in. Yeah. That just sounds like I've come up with a preconceived notion and now I'm trying to make everything fit. Yeah. And there's an easier way, and that is to read this and see that he's saying, I, these are the kinds of people who are going to be saved. I chose this plan of saving saving uh, people through the blood of Jesus before the world was created. I knew this. I predestined this. I chose those who are in the blood of Jesus to be saved. And there's not mm -hmm. a passage of Scripture that cannot be explained by that interpretation. So yeah. I think, you know, it's a matter of what he chose and who he chose. Right. Um, yeah, he chose all of those who would be, as we're about to get into, sanctified by the Spirit that believed in the truth. So it's not maybe necessarily individuals, but a, like you said, a category of people, yeah. people that fall under this righteous by faith um, mm -hmm. sort of thing that Paul definitely builds up in Romans. Yes, so, in Romans 9 through 11 is where a lot of this language is found. Yeah. And people will point like out the like vessels where... vessels of honorable and dishonorable. Yeah, use. that and, and the example of Jacob and Esau... Uh, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved, and yeah. say, we'll see there. There's, But Esau and Jacob were often used as stand-ins for nations. Yeah. And and so now we're back to the idea of a group or a way. He chose mm -hmm. the nation of Israel, not the nation of Edom, to produce the Messiah who would die for the people's sins and be the hope for yeah. humanity. He didn't, I mean, it wasn't, he didn't literally hate the man Esau. Yeah. God doesn't hate people but he hates the ways of people, or he he chooses one, and in that sense, he hates the other. That's kind of like whoever does not hate his father or mother is not worthy of me, that kind of language as well. Yeah, and you also, uh, the I think the biggest flaw in like the individual predestination of people is the fact that, as you mentioned, like what about why are we supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel to every living creature? Like, why are we supposed to plead with people to repent and turn? Mm -hmm. Why do you have passages like in First Timothy where he says, God desires all men to come to a knowledge of the truth? Well, why would it matter if all men come to a knowledge of the truth if only an X percentage of them are predestined to be saved anyway? Yeah. Like the only thing that would matter would be you telling the people who are predestined to believe now, people who aren't predestined to believe, who cares? Because they're not going to believe anyway. Right, and the explanation for it is kind of like a sci-fi time travel movie. Where yeah. it's like, well, if you're predestined, then you'll go through this certain path. It's almost like 
Marty McFly saying, I have to go back in time and behave a certain way so that this end that I have already predestined or that something has predestined will come true. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, also you have to think about the character of God. And I know that he's sovereign. I mean, this is all explained. Well, God is sovereign. He will do what he will do. Okay, yeah. I know. But I also know that he's merciful and loving. And how could a loving God decide that, you know, I am saved and this person is lost? And why can't we have the same opportunity? Yeah. Maybe different results, but the same opportunity. Yeah. Uh, having the same opportunity matches with his grace and mercy and love better, I think. Mm-hmm. than just, hey, I have the right to do this. Nobody questions whether he has the right to to pick the lost and the saved. Um, yeah, why else would Paul be just warning them to stay away from certain things? There would be no need for the Bible. or I mean, there's just if they're going to behave that way anyway. And why would he tell them to hold firm to the traditions that they had been taught? Like, you know, if they were predestined truly... To be saved, then why would he say to them, literally in verse 15, he says, So then, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us. Well, the the, I mean, the answer to that would be part of the way that this happens is that Paul passes the traditions down. And because they are saved, Paul will pass traditions down to them. And because and he was saved, to the next they have been passed to him. And that also was predestined along with everything else. But it, it take it, you know, it goes against the idea of man having free will. It's yeah. fatalism. Um, of course, people say to me, you don't have enough faith in the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty mysteriously can do both. Determine everything and give us free will. <laughs> it's just like saying, to me, it's just like saying, I'm not going to answer your question. It's like, how how is it that God can give us free will and predestine everything individually? You don't have enough faith in his ability to do both. Okay, maybe I don't, you know, because if if the Bible said that I had to believe that, then my faith would kick in and I'd be fine with that. But there are other explanations that, you know, just... Yeah, there are things that are spelled out that are kind of a paradox and... You have to just throw your hands up and say, I don't know, like Jesus, the nature of Jesus being God and man simultaneously. Yes. That's one of those things. But nowhere do we really see conclusive evidence that our ability to choose our eternal destination was, you know, already determined a long time ago mm-hmm. personally for each of us. Yeah. So, I, well, I think, well, yeah, we're and we're starting to say the same thing over yeah, and over again now. Yeah, to, um, so we want to move on to the next one. Yeah, let's talk about the next one. There's a lot of stuff in this section here. Yeah. So right here in the same verse, God chose you to be the first fruits, or chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. This sanctification by the Spirit. How would you define? Uh, this sanctification by the Spirit here in verse 13. Well, let's first talk about how it's looked upon by many in the predestination camp, but also others who have a mystical view of the Spirit. And uh, 
they they would look at that and read into it that the spirit has to sanctify us through direct operation yeah uh, basically amounting to a miracle uh, a miracle of the spirit has to happen in each and every person for them to be sanctified which by the way sanctification has to do with being made pure or being made holy mm-hmm. um now the problem with that is the view that the Spirit can only operate directly or through a miracle. Yeah. And the Bible never says that. The Bible says the Spirit can do that, and the Spirit can also work through providence and through means or the instrumentality of the Word. Mm-hmm. After all, Ephesians 6.17 calls the Word the sword of the Spirit. Yeah. Now, if the Word is the sword of the Spirit, there must be some ways in which the the Spirit uses the Word of God, and it was the Spirit's mm-hmm. role to reveal that Word for men to inspire men to write it and for us to read it. So let's look at a few verses on that. Uh, first, I think First Peter one twenty two is a parallel. Listen to how similar this is to what Paul says in Second Thessalonians two. First uh, Peter one twenty two, having purified your souls, purified is the same as sanctified. By your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So there, sanctification is coming through or by obedience to the truth. Now that's in there, but we look over it. When you go back to 2 Thessalonians 2.13, they were saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Now you can look at that as sanctification by the Spirit plus belief belief in the truth, mm-hmm. or you can see those two as being parallel, that they're the same thing. The sanctification by the Spirit is belief in the truth. In other words, the Spirit is using the truth as the sword to sanctify men. And where do we learn what is holy and what is unholy, what is righteous, what is wicked, what is good behavior and bad behavior? We learn that in the Word of God, yeah. um, which the Spirit gave us. Uh, one more passage that I think, I just feel like if I'm, we're going to claim this says something, we need to back it up with some biblical evidence. Yeah. So here's Ephesians 3. Um, trying to find a good place to start on this. I'm going to have to start at the top here because it's one of those long sentences that Paul is famous yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is Ephesians 3, <clears throat> excuse me, Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles... Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, the Spirit revealed it to him, as I've written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Now, did he say it was revealed to everybody by the Spirit? No, to the apostles and prophets yeah. who wrote down the word. And Paul is telling the Ephesians that the way that you get my insight that I received miraculously through a revelation of the Spirit is when you read it. When you read this written word, yeah. you can perceive my insight. So how do they know what sanctification is? Through the word that was given to Paul miraculously, but to all of us through uh, the inspired word. So yeah. I think it's pretty clear if you're willing to look at all the passages that speak about this phenomenon of the sanctification of the Spirit. Yeah, I think that coupled with what we're going to talk about next being called through the gospel, I think that's 
that's um, that makes a lot of sense. But I, I want to ask you this on this one before we move on to the being called through the gospel. Do you think there the sanctification of the spirit here, like being set apart or being purified by the spirit here, has anything to do with like what happens in baptism? Because when I'm thinking, you know, sanctified or purified by the spirit, I'm thinking, what is it? It purifies us, and I know that we read a moment ago from First Peter, following the truth, and certainly that's part of it, uh, if not all of it here. But I'm just wondering, you know, at baptism, you know, Acts two thirty eight, you're baptized and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's that's a whole different topic in and of itself. But you know, there are passages in Romans that talk about some things that the Spirit does, and our body is a temple of the Spirit. And basically that this kind of gift of the Spirit is something that you have if you're in Christ. Uh, do you think, like, is there any kind of connection here to maybe this kind of the Spirit's work? Um, I don't really know. Well, the sanctification the occurs question. on two levels, right? Okay. Because yeah, at conversion, we are made righteous in Christ. Do you think so, this was... Ref- refers back to that as well or do you think it's I think it does because okay. um you know they were chosen as the first fruits to be saved which is aorist tense you know um it's past tense it happened mm-hmm. one time event you were saved yeah. so that language is usually reserved for conversion but we all know that that while we're saved and made complete spiritually there is a growth process that begins when you come out of the baptistry. Right. And that so the first level is at conversion. The second level is through growth in the in the spirit, in the word, mm-hmm. as we continue our Christian lifestyle, repenting of sins, confessing sins, continuing to grow in our knowledge and in our conduct. Uh he says to the Thessalonians in the last verse of this chapter that uh, they need to come that he's praying for God to comfort their hearts and through grace and establish them in every good work and word so they're growing in every good work they're growing in every good word yeah so that's sanctification on the second level as they grow mm-hmm. yeah okay so I think that clears up. Uh, that question I have there. So the next one here is pretty closely tied to this because it's talking more about uh, the spirit, I guess the work of how exactly these people were called. So the next question we have is in verse 14, to this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is certainly something that that is really common now and it's getting... It's probably just as common as as it has ever been, but like everything else in our society, you just see it so much more because of the internet. Anybody mm-hmm. can put all their thoughts out for the world to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the really popular things going on going around, like all over Twitter, I know, is like, you know, God has called me to do this. God has called me to do that. Mm-hmm. God has called me to be here. God has called me to be there. And we've talked about this at length on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. But specifically, now we're talking about are people called by God to be saved, especially if we have this idea of predestination in the back of our heads. And we're saying, well, is God individually going to call me like he called, you know, Elisha 
the three mm-hmm. times he called me, he had to get up and try to go. Samuel. Or Samuel, yeah, sorry. Get up and go try to find God. Yeah, he you know, heard. And, yeah, yeah, he yeah, yeah. actually heard. Or Elijah in the still, calling. small voice. Yeah. Which wasn't, I mean, it was in the middle of his career, but. Yeah. Um, or, you know, like uh, uh, like Isaiah, right? Yeah, with Isaiah, the vision. Isaiah, he gets his mm-hmm. calling, yeah. So what, the question is, what about now for me, is it biblical for me to say, you know, God called me through, I had this dream, I had this really weird dream, or I had a really horrible dream that, you know, mm-hmm. scared me, and now I think that's my calling to wake <laughs> up and to and to come yeah. to Christ. Um, well, I, I always wonder, you know, you mentioned the dreams and stuff. Yeah. I've always wondered... And try to get people, if they're open to talking about this, to tell me what the calling was. What what was that like? Did they hear a voice? Did they have a hunch? Did they feel a certain feeling? Yeah. And everybody I ask has a different answer to that. And most of the time it amounts to, I just had this feeling. You know, I felt inspired to do this. I just felt drawn to this particular thing. Right. Um, I was awakened to this need. Yeah. And there's no, like, there's nothing you just put your hands on mm-hmm. that explains what the calling is. And look, I mean, God can do what God wants to do. And exactly. if he wants to call people in a mysterious fashion that is hard to explain and that is a different experience with every person, he is he has every right to do that. Yeah. But also... The same logic says if he wants to call everyone equally through the gospel now, he can do that too. And he's saying here that he called them, the Thessalonians, through the gospel Paul had handed down by tradition. So it's very plain here. I mean, this is where I go to when people are questioning about the calling. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people, because it's so vague, it also you know, may have a, give somebody a strong sense of conviction at the beginning when they get into it and they realize that, you know, preaching, for example, is harder than they thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. They wonder, was God really yeah. calling me to do this? Yeah. Uh, and at that point, it's like, well, let's look at what the Bible says a calling is. And you can go to those cases you talked about, like Samuel and Isaiah, but those were unusual circumstances. I mean, when Samuel was called, for example, it had been a long time since anybody had received a vision. The Bible is plain about that. It, yeah. There had been no, God had not spoken to anybody directly in a long, long time. So does that mean nobody was called through generations of people? No. It just Samuel had a special calling that was unusual. Uh, yeah. We're called, everyone is called equally today through the gospel as Paul preached it, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yeah. When you hear that for the first time, or when you hear it many times, it's calling you to change your life. Mm-hmm. It's saying there is hope for you. You must believe in Christ. It will change your life. Yeah. It will set you on the right path. It will give you hope. So the gospel is doing that work. And it's still... An extremely different experience for everyone, even though it's the same thing that's calling everyone. 
Yeah, everybody you know, may have heard it differently. Yeah, I don't think there's any because I think one or of the in knots, a different way is what I meant. Like yeah. somebody may have seen it on TV, somebody right. may have read it in the Bible, or somebody heard it may from a have friend. heard like someone may have heard, um, you know, the story with an emphasis on this part. Someone else might have heard it emphasizing yeah. another part. Somebody might have heard the exact same. Uh, you know, if it if it was at a worship service, someone might have heard the exact same lesson. If it was just sitting around a dinner table, there might have been the people listening to the exact same person talking, mm -hmm. but it could have been a completely different part of what was said that mm -hmm. convicted somebody and that touched them. So I think part of the knock against this is, or part of the draw to have that personal calling is that you can be like, well, this is my story between I'm me special. and God. Yeah. This is different for me. Well, it's, it's no different if, like you're saying, it's different for me because I have this special dream or this special inclination or this special feeling that I should do this. It's not any different than the, like, I guess it's not any less personal if you get that same feeling from the gospel, which is exactly mm -hmm. how we read here that God calls us is through the gospel. And for me, one of the things that clears this up the most is Hebrews chapter 1, where he says, Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he says, look, in the days of old, God spoke to the yeah. people through the prophets. That's how he spoke In many them. ways. In, in those days, it did happen yep. through the mouth of a donkey or through a yep. vision or... Uh, All these different yeah. ways. Yeah, right. Yeah. He says, but in these last days, which is now... Mm -hmm. He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to be the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So that clears it up to me. Yeah, there's a contrast. Yeah. Yeah, and, and when, you, when you keep in mind what John says about Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of John, that he is the Word. You know, mm -hmm. in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Uh, you know, it, it really clears it up to me that says, how does God speak to us, through, to us today? How does God call us today? And this passage is now one that really adds to that for me uh, to really illuminate this idea that God doesn't necessarily, and like you said, I'm not saying he can't or that he won't. Yeah. But I am saying what we have in his word that he has revealed to us. He says, look, I'm going to communicate with you. I'm going to call you and I'm going to speak to you through my word. Yes. Well, and isn't that the same thing that Jesus says in John twelve thirty two? When I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Isn't that the yeah. same thing? Drawing to, isn't he calling them from yeah. the cross? And the cross yeah. is a message. It is news. It is a historical event that has been reported by inspiration. Mm -hmm. So the meaning here is Jesus on that cross is drawing you to him calling you to him yeah by the the message yeah it's it's not i think a lot of this and I'm not, i don't mean to judge people and somebody may be listening to this and feel uh that we're being critical and i, I guess we are but we're, we're not trying to come from that point of view it's just yeah. look it's not about us it's not about our special story um you know it, we're all equally important to god it's right. about Jesus Christ. That's right. what it's about. It's not about me and, you know, having a near brush with death in a car accident yeah. and imagining that, you know, that was God calling me out from among the masses to be a special servant to him. 
He wants all of us to serve him. Right. Um, And he calls us by the gospel, by this, the one who matters most, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. That's what it's all about. And I still think each of us, and this is, this is, from nowhere but scripture, this is where Paul in Second Corinthians or First Corinthians twelve, where he's talking about the church being a body made up of different parts. Even though you know we might not be specifically called with a revelation straight from God like Paul was to be this guy who's going to be a special kind of servant, you know, uh, has this experience blinded. God is the one that blinds him. Uh, you know, even though we might not have that kind of experience, it does not cheapen or lessen our role in in God's plan. So it's not like Paul is any more important to God's plan than any of us are. And we hear that and we're like, okay, that's not right. Because look at what Paul did. But Paul is the guy that writes the letter saying, just because the hand is not a foot, the foot can't be like, I'm out of here. You know, yeah. the body needs every part. And we all have our own unique experience with coming to Christ everyone's story of obedience to Christ is different and everyone can use that story to reach somebody else Mm -hmm. that nobody else can. Yeah. When I was saying all that, I thought now I should say what you just said that, but you know, we need need to be in order for this message to really seem real. We need to show people that it has changed us. Yeah. I mean, they have to see results in our lives both the word and the work together. So I'm not saying that we're unimportant in that sense, but I'm just saying... Yeah, I didn't think you, you were know, saying we were unimportant. No, I just I, but to... I, I said it's not about us. You know, it is... Right, and it Paul is, even not... says, all this is for the glory of God. And yeah. everything he says, I count as lost for the surpassing worth of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, really, it's not about us. And you see all these little one-liners... Uh, or at least I do. Here oh, we go again with the Twitter. All these little one-liners about like God's everything is about us, and like God's about goal you. is to lift us up. Or you know, like there'll be this these quotes about like God. You know, before I was even born, God's desire was to raise me up, or something like that, mm-hmm. or you know, to like lift me up and exalt. I know the me. purposes that I have for you, and which is like me. you know, let's lift a part of Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven out and paint it all over our walls and I'm sorry if somebody has that on their wall yeah, but not know anything about who you know about the... read the part before and after it's about Israel yeah and um but the the point here I was going with this is yes God has done this amazing stuff for us and yes you know he sent his son to die for us but all these things are done for ultimately the glory of God so yes. they're all ultimately done for the glory of God, yes. not for our glory, because we the very point of this is we have none and God has it all. And mm-hmm. the fact that he lets us be with him gives him even more glory and takes even you know more away from us mm-hmm. that we have on our own. So on the, the only glory we find is in as much as we give it to God. So, right. so do you want to talk about the the last thing there? Yeah, this is like a total... I want to have plenty of time to do our practical... So we're totally going to shift gears here with the final one. Uh, Verse 17, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of my genuineness. I can't say that word. I mess (laughs) it up every time. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. So something (laughs) happened at the 
end of this book, maybe, or maybe it's the whole book where Paul, you know, he's fighting. You said earlier, if anyone sends you a letter seemingly to be from us in chapter 2, verse 2. So there's probably a problem with someone trying to forge letters from Paul. And Paul gets here and he's like, hey, this is how you can tell this is my letter. What do you think that was? Any speculation well, here? Well, f- first we need to be aware of the fact that, and I'm I'm writing the word down here to try to get the, the word right. <laughs> uh, pseudonymous. Oh. <laughs> I tried this on another podcast and I messed it up then. Um, pseudepigrapha is a body of literature false. with a false authorship. Pseudonymous. The Book of Thomas is a... Yeah, say that again. Using a pseudonym. There There we go. go. Like, uh, okay, so uh, people would use pseudonyms to try to pass (laughs) pass off their work as an apostle's work or as God's work. Right. Very common thing in those days. So authenticity was very important. It still is today. So imagine receiving this letter supposedly from Paul. Yeah. Uh, How do you know it really came from Paul? Well, you know, we know Paul had, he often used to scribe, and the the top of this letter, and also 1 Thessalonians, it is addressed Paul, Silas, and Timothy, which means Silas and Timothy had some role in in writing this. Probably one of them served as a secretary who took it down as Paul dictated. But this isn't the only letter where it seems like Paul takes the pen away from the secretary at the very end and says... Isn't it Galatians, Galatians where he says, see yeah. with what large letters I write? Yeah. Um, so he has this very unique handwriting. It's like a signature at the yeah, end Galatians 6, that 11. can't be forged, at least not very easily, especially in those days. They knew his handwriting. They knew it was from yeah. him. Uh, it just was, you know, and there were there are theories that Paul had bad eyesight, so he may have had a very large John yeah. Hancock. Yeah. Um, so I, it's just interesting. I don't think I ever really noticed... That line, it is the way I write. Yeah, this is how I, just I write. Like, I like that. You know, so it's pretty much a signature. You know me. This is my signature. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But so instead of way. just saying Paul, he would say, "This is you know here I'm I Paul write this with my own hand." Yeah, these are my words. Um, officials would use a signet ring or some kind of a seal that couldn't be reproduced. Yeah. And for Paul, he didn't have one of those. He just had this unique handwriting. So it's kind of an interesting way to end the letter. All right, well, let's end this section of the podcast and come back and apply. For this third section, we're going to apply by looking at the position of the Thessalonians towards these three groups of people we introduced in the reading. Remember, the first one were the the saved. So, what did Paul what did Paul tell them their position should be towards themselves, towards the saved? And that was when it comes to themselves, they need to be steadfast or stand firm. He says at the end of chapter 2, May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Uh, So not just the teaching, but also the obedience or the example, both the work and the word. And he comes back to this in chapter 3, 
verse 5, where it says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. I should have included verse 4 as well, where he prays that they will have confidence in the Lord about uh, that you are doing and will do the things we command. So Mm -hmm. you're doing it now. We want you to keep on doing it, grow in that, we assume. That was the position he wanted them to have towards themselves, is to to be steadfast, to keep persisting in this. Keep yourself right. Yeah. So that's pretty simple. Let's move to the second group, the wicked and evil men. What was their position towards them? Well, he says, toward them, you continue to honor the word of the Lord. It's very similar Mm -hmm. to the first position, maybe the same thing, but he says that, you know, what's going to keep you from being uh, unfaithful as they are unfaithful is that you, verse 1, the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, um, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. So he wants them to be faithful as God is faithful. I love that language there, they may speed ahead, that the word of the Lord may speed ahead, that it may go as fast as possible, but also what keeps that speed in check is the honor of it. And I have a footnote there on that, glorified, that the word of the Lord may be glorified. Either way, don't move so, you know, move fast with the word. Spread it out, distribute it in the most efficient way. But the number one priority is that it's honored. In other words, that you're true to it. Yeah. So make it fast, but not so fast that you cut corners with the word. Right. Yeah, it's very important to make sure those priorities are ordered because it's really easy to lay, just to lay all of them out and say, okay, these are all our highest priorities. Yeah. But it is important to take those, especially if you're like working on a, on a, on a ministry team anywhere, you know, if these are things we want to do and maybe I want to get the word out to as many people as possible, also want the word to be glorified. And those are two of your highest priorities. Well, you have to decide which one of those is your top one, because you can certainly try to get it out there at the expense of doing it in a biblical way. Yeah. (laughs) And you can also um, maybe get bogged down on the other end to the expense of getting it, getting it out to people. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is really important to make sure that priorities are straight here. Priority is definitely though to glorify the word of God. And through that, you know, it'll be sped ahead through Paul. I guess that's that's speeded ahead. No, speed. No, you did it right. Sped, Sped up. Ahead. Sped up. Hastened. Hastened. There you go. Quickened. All right. You're going back in time with yeah. your English. Uh, are for we ready suits. for the final one? This is the one I'm wanting to talk about. Perchance. Perchance. For adventure. For adventure. Um, yeah, the the last one we wanted to save time for this because yeah. the we, we're entitling this episode The Idol. We should talk about them a little bit. So thirdly... What was to be their position towards the idol, these busybodies that were doing no work at all? Yeah. And their position, recommended by Paul or commanded by Paul, was to discipline them. Yeah. And uh, that's a very interesting thing for us to look at here. Because um, remember in the last things. letter he said to admonish the idol, right? At the end of verse yes. Thessalonians. Yes, uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Yeah. So he picks up with that. Evidently, that little note was not enough. They needed more instruction. So when he comes back and he says, verses 13 and 14, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person um, and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. 
very similar to instructions given in 1 Corinthians 5 regarding a sexually immoral man who was being accepted into the assemblies. He told them to withdraw fellowship from him, do not associate with him, that his spirit may be saved uh, in, the, in the day of the Lord. So, you know, this also is part of a larger formula prescribed by Jesus in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, where the Lord doesn't tell us to start with this action. Paul is pointing out like the last stage, the last resort. If you go back to that passage of Scripture, the Lord says, first, if you, you know, have a problem with your brother, if your brother has sinned, you take him aside in private and rebuke him. If yeah. that doesn't work, take two or three witnesses and try again. If that doesn't work, tell it to the whole church and let the church get involved. If that doesn't work, then you go to this step where you have nothing to do with that person mm -hmm. um, or you withdraw fellowship from that person. Yeah. It's um, interesting to me, verse 15, do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Because I think it, is it in that section where Jesus is talking that says, treat him as an outsider? Yes, uh, that's Matthew passage? 18, 18. Yeah. So, um, so the way I've always a thought Gentile about it. Gentile or a tax collector, right? Yeah. Treat him as a... Yeah, Gentile or tax collector. So the way I've always thought of this is... So I read that about Jesus saying, you know, basically treat them as an outsider, which is pretty much either way to be understood as uh, a Gentile, right? And maybe mm -hmm. even specifically the tax collectors. Yeah, but I just think the about, outcast yeah. is the idea there. And I think about how did Jesus treat those people? Well, he ate with them. You know, he died for them. He loved them. So when I see, mm -hmm. you know, also... In Matthew, where he says, uh, you know, you've heard it was said, hate your enemies. Uh, but I said, you pray for your enemies or love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, I guess the fact that this thing about the enemies is tacked on here, because I'm quick to think, you know, have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. So basically kind of treat him as if he's not a Christian. Well, how do we treat people who, is, who aren't Christians? Well, you know, we, we love them. We try to bring them the truth of Christ and we hope that they, you know, will repent and follow the way of Christ. But we're not like gonna be angry at them and put their name, you know, on a piece of paper and hold that piece of paper up and say, Stay away from blah blah. <laughs> he is not a Christian. You know, we uh, don't mark well I So what's the difference so here? I think I guess? this is about like the the I position say, of this person, you, so this is this is about how you should treat the person. Yeah. Um, so should I stand up? Like, let's say one of the kids in the youth group decide, is not, or let's say one of the kids in the youth group is being idle, like we're talking about here, mm -hmm. which pretty much all teenagers are. So let's just say, <laughs> just say I got up and said, took note. Like, I want to say take note. I'm yeah. going to interpret take note as write them up. Put it in a put it on the Be, internet. Beware of this person. Publicate that's it. What it means. Yeah, and just say hey. Publicate. Yeah. Publish. That's a little joke there. Okay. Uh, just say hey, take everybody take note. This person's not a Christian. We're not gonna have anything to do mm -hmm. with them anymore. So like my question is, we're, you know, I guess how exactly 
am I to okay. to follow this it's, to the letter? I think I think I think you're going way too deep into it, conflating Jesus's instructions on enemies with the message Paul is getting across here. Okay, you know Jesus said, "Love your enemies." So there's yeah. no one for us to hate, and in a in a way, we look at that and say, "Nobody's really my enemy." They just don't realize that I love them or something. Yeah, that that that's a separate thing. Here he's instructing us, you know, how do you treat people? Do you treat them like an enemy or do you treat them like a brother who's um, gone on a wrong path? Yeah. So he's saying, so Paul is not instructing excommunication. You know, that's that's yeah. one way. What he's not doing is is saying you excommunicate somebody, throw them out of the church. Only God can do that. And he said, you know, in some parables, like the parable of the dragnet, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not doing that until the end of time. The parable of the tares, you know, yeah. at harvest time, I'll remove the weeds. Yeah. So we don't, you know, kick anybody out of the church. However, there is discipline that's needed for the sake of that perfect person's soul. And it's yeah. all about the goal. What is the goal here and other passages that talk about church discipline? It's not to just remove the the bad eggs out of the out of the church. Yeah. It's to save their souls. And I've got a few verses just really quickly I'm going to run down. Here in verse 14, the goal was to shame him to repentance. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want them to be a lost cause. He wants them to repent. In Matthew 18, 15, we talked about that passage a moment ago. The goal there is to gain your brother, to yeah. get him back. First uh, Corinthians five five, another passage we referred to, to save his spirit. Yeah. Also in First Corinthians five, we have this goal of cleaning out the leaven or keeping the leaven out. So there is a protective measure here to protect the church against leavening influences. Um, Galatians six one to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, and James five nineteen through twenty to save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So use this withdrawal of fellowship, if necessary, to save the person's soul. In other words, the hope is that they will feel pain from the disassociation and that they will come back in repentance, not on their terms, but on God's terms, so that the group may be whole again. That's the goal. It's not to excommunicate somebody or kick them out of the club, but to save their soul. That's what the church is there for, to keep us accountable, to save our souls, so we can work together mm-hmm. as we are journeying to heaven. Yeah. As you were talking, it made me think of in First Timothy where he talks about Hymenaeus and Alexander. We might not have enough time to get into this, where he's talking about some who've made shipwreck of their faith. Uh, he says, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan that they mm-hmm. may learn not to blaspheme. So even when he says here that he's handing them over to Satan, it's for a reason so they can learn to not blaspheme. Yeah. Satan's outside, you know, outside the fellowship of the church. Yeah, so that's what I'm... He's re- now, Pete, the question is, since this is the practical section, the question is, uh, does it work? Yeah. And that That's a complicated question because, uh, you know, fellowship isn't what it used to be in the church. Yeah. Christians were together a lot more in those days than they are today. In right. America, in Unless particular, it's VBS week. That's right. 
That's right. We've seen a lot of each other together a lot. Um, In this country where we're free to worship God as we please without government interference, it's it's so easy for us to get together. We don't appreciate it as much as they did then or as Christians in other countries do now. And so, um, you know, I, I think we have so many other circles that we can trust. We have our family circle. We have our circle of friends outside the church. Yeah. Circle of friends at the ballpark. Circle of friends at um, at school, at the workplace, and yeah. we enjoy those relationships. At saws. As at saws, as much yeah. as we do in the church. And I'm not saying this the way it ought to be. I said this is the way it is. Yeah. And also, there are so many more churches. I'm not just talking in terms of denominations. But in terms of individual congregations, I think that's so. If you withdraw fellowship biggest, from a family, yeah. they just go they, to the church. They're not the des- they're not in desperation because they can go down the road to another church that's wanting more people. Mm-hmm. They won't ask any questions. They just go in, and so it's a challenge to use this in an effective way. Not because the plan there's something wrong with the plan, but because there's something wrong with the church. Yeah. Uh, we're not working together. I think if congregations would work together and a family comes in to one place from another church, churches ought to communicate with one another. Why did they leave your church? Well, they didn't leave on their own accord. We asked them to leave until this yeah. problem was reconciled. And then the other church calls them in and talks to them about it. Let's hear your side of the story. Yeah. Have you really persisted in this particular sin? Yes, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Well, we, along with your previous church, think there's something wrong with it. Yeah, We're happy to include you in our fellowship if you repent of this sin. Well, I'm not going to. Well, then we're standing with your brothers in this particular community yeah. and uh, not going to accept you in a, into our fellowship until you repent. Now, if that kind of thing went on, you would have more souls saved Mm-hmm. I know it's not a very popular thing. People don't like to talk about it. But I also know that it's popular for some people to accuse the church of not thinking, you know, of just saying, we we just need to do more church this one. We don't do it anymore because we're just yeah. bad people. It's more complicated than that. Churches don't do it like they should because of the environment we are in. And we're not cooperating yeah. with one another as we should. That's yeah. That's the way it is. I don't know the solution to it. I can say... I, I do think if we did more of the first and second steps at church mm-hmm. discipline, we'd never even, you know, I think we'd rarely ever have to get to the last stage. I think you're exactly right. I mean, I think 95% of the cases. time, if you talk to somebody and say, hey, look, you know, I'm, if you do it in the spirit of gentleness, mm-hmm. I'm concerned about this. Can we talk about it? I didn't know that offended you. I didn't know that I was wrong. Thank you yeah. for telling me. Let's pray together doesn't need to go outside this conversation let's move on and and when rubber meets the road like what's the big issue that someone's gonna have a problem you know like who are you gonna go to with a problem and say hey like you said in the spirit of gentleness and very quiet and private you know hey man you don't need to be doing this or whatever how many people are gonna turn around and be like no there's nothing wrong with what i'm doing Mm -hmm. you know like most of the time, what the person's well, involved in, I think, is going to be obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to be obviously wrong. There, I, I think there's a special kind of hard-headed to be so hard-headed to where you have somebody coming to you by themselves, 
Then you have a group of people coming to you. Then you have a bigger group of people. Then you have the entire church telling you, look, dude, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have to be a special kind of stubborn at that point. Yes. Yeah. To be so, there's not that. Thankfully, I would like to believe that there's not a whole lot of people that that would wind up happening, even if we did right. But I do think the way that we treat those people when it does happen is all dependent upon our view of what the church is. Yeah. If we think that's, that our that's true. If we that's think good. that our church here at Asheville Road is a club mm-hmm. that we allow people access. Into, it's a friend machine. Yeah. If we if we allow you... TM. I trademarked the, that. Just yeah, right that was a good friend machine. We allow you to say that you're identified with us, or we're going to give you the privilege of us saying, yes, they are members yeah. of Asheville Road, Church of Christ. Look, the only reason we have members is just so we can know, like, are you here? Can we count on you to help us if we need some help with a certain thing? Can I have your phone number? Can I have your address? Mm-hmm. You know, like... We, we don't add you to the church. God adds you to the church. We just need to have it organized to know you're here so we can get the work done. Yeah. Um, and so Man, there's you, so much more to talk yeah. about because we didn't even talk about the the sin and why they were doing it. Yeah, the idleness. Yeah, why, what, why they weren't working. Um, just Probably a quick had, hint, it had to do with misunderstanding regarding the second coming of Christ, that it was right. coming at any moment. See our first Thessalonians yeah, episode because right. we did talk about that. Yeah, that's true. That's yeah. true. So I'll give you a reason to go listen to another episode. We're way over time here. So Sorry, let me say goodbye for now. Um, episode check 100. us out. Episode 100 is in the books. Yep. Uh, send us a message. Let us know what you think. Go to iTunes and help us climb the latter of the podcasts that have the word 66 in them. We'd love to be on top. We are way down the list right now. I actually think we're like second or third nowadays. Yeah, it depends on how many we're releasing. I've noticed if we go through a hiatus, as we are wont to do, uh, we often sink down. Be on Um, hiatus at least till July because we are... Going on trips. Let's not talk about that. Mission trips and that sort of thing. Andrews. It's going to be... Made a choice. Lots of work coming up. Okay. Podcast will continue. We'll see. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for being here with us on the 100th episode. We will be announcing our next project when you come back. We don't know what it's going to be just yet, but uh, we're going to be announcing that next time you come back. So don't give up on us. Keep your eye on the podcast feed. And join us next time on The 66. 